Every time I look at Corinthians, I, I have the thought, or very, let's say very often when I look at Corinthians, I, I have the thought that uh, comes to me, why ever did Paul bother with these people? I mean, he'd preached the gospel to them, um, he'd helped them to, uh, to come to be baptized, and now they were really turning away, both from him personally and, and from the Lord. And yet he has such a passion to try to help them. Uh, and I think that that passion is really a reflector of, of the degree to which he was moved by the love of the Lord Jesus for him personally. And it's from that point of view that we who stand at a great distance from Paul and Corinth as they were 2,000 years ago or whatever, can, I think, learn so, so much and, and be inspired. So here at First Corinthians 8 and 9, um, let's uh, have a look at chapter 9 there, verse, verse 19. He says, Though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. Now, you may like to scribble down in your margin there, Philippians 2 verse 7, because he uses that very same phrase in Philippians 2 in talking about Jesus on the cross. And you may like to just go over there to Philippians 2 7 where he talks about Jesus on the cross, how he made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And Paul is saying here, then, that um, he himself has made himself a servant, or a slave. Now, typically, you were made a slave by other people, by being captured in, in war, or... Uh, having to uh, do do it, uh, become a slave because of, I don't know, some life situation or because you were born into slavery or, or whatever. But here uh, Paul has said in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 19 that he has made himself, although he's free, he has made himself a slave unto all. And here in Philippians 2, that is exactly what Jesus did on the cross. He took upon himself the form of a servant and made himself in the likeness of men. He made himself a, a servant. He emptied himself and made himself a servant. Although he was ultimately free as, as the son of God, yet he did this. And, of course, here in Philippians 2, the whole point is, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, that's verse 5. So he's talking here about the mental attitude of Jesus, and he's saying that it is attainable by us, that the mindset that Jesus had in his time of dying on the cross can be replicated, can be repeated in us. And it was repeated in Paul. Paul is the, the living example. So he, he shows that here, as I say, in First Corinthians 9.19, where he says, although he's free from all men, yet he makes himself a slave unto all, so that I might gain the more. That is the more for, for Christ. So then, I think we, we take from that one principle at least, and that is that the spirit of the cross is attainable. I mean, you can see that in so many words that in Philippians 2, when uh, Paul says that, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ, upon the cross. And uh, the way Paul here in 1 Corinthians 9 alludes to that and says, you know, this is what I am doing for you in order to try to win you for, for Christ or gain you for, for Christ, it shows that. 
Now, we have a, a tendency to hive off in our mind what happened on the cross, to see this as the events of a few hours that happened at some specific point in distant history, and to view it rather like Catholics or Orthodox view an icon, where it is far away, and you look at it and you say, well, yes, how beautiful, how wonderful, uh, but you are not connected with it. Your duty is to look at it in some sort of wonder. Uh, and to, to, to be loyal to the church, etc. But that is not how the cross is presented to us. There is this direct line of continuity between him there, covered in blood and spittle and, and naked, uh, and particularly with his mind, the mindset, the attitude that he had within that battered body. Uh, we are to see the line, draw the line of continuity between him there and that mind that was in him and you and I today in whatever situations we are in and it is in this sense that Jesus is with us and we abide in him you know to put meaning into those words it is in the fact that we are influenced by him and we perceive in our situations in life a direct uh, contact a direct continuity with the situations that he was in and he there really can be repeated in us and so when we say that Jesus was our representative and not our substitute that is true but that challenges us quite a lot because it's not just one way he is us and we are him that cuts two ways um, it's not just that he represents us we also represent him in this world in the sense that we are to, we are to be him now this uh, verse there verse 19 where, where he in 1 Corinthians 9 where he says I've made myself a servant of all of course he's also quoting from the, the very words of Jesus um, when he says in Mark 10 44 and 45 Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. So when Paul says, I have made myself a servant of all, he is definitely alluding to those words of Jesus, whoever wants to be first among you, let him be a servant of all. He's saying, yeah, well that's what I've done, because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, incidentally, in chapter 10, verse 33, which is, of course, within the context of Paul's thought here, he alludes again to that same verse, because there in the chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians, verse 33, he says that I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. There's similar ideas there that we are to be a servant of all because Jesus did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life for many and here he says in 10 verse 33 that he is serving all men pleasing all men, serving all men so that they might be saved so that the many might be saved he, he clearly has got those words of Jesus in mind and as I say he's alluding to them also in chapter 9 verse 19 so you learn from that that 
Paul, consciously or unconsciously, had those words of Mark 10, 45, constantly in his mind when he's writing here to the Corinthians, that whoever wishes to be first must be servant of all, because the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That is what kept Paul motivated. So then, he lived out the example of Jesus, who came not to be served, but to serve, in his efforts to try to gain these these Corinthians for Christ and as he says in chapter 9 verse 20 to the Jews I became as a Jew to them that were under the law as under the law that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without the law as without law to the weak I became weak that I might gain the weak I am become all things to all men so when he says in verse 19 although I'm free from all men I have made myself a slave to all. And then he says in verse uh, 22 that he has become all things to all men. Uh, I think what he's saying is that that being a servant of all, a slave of all, is reflected in adopting attitudes of mind which are sensitive to others, sensitive to the audience whom we seek to save and serve whether they are unbelievers or whether they are believers, as they were in Corinth. So it's not a case of, you know, it's what I believe, or it's uh, that's my principle and that's how it is, and if you don't want to accept it, then that's tough. Of course, we don't change our fundamental beliefs, not saying that. But the sensitivity that we should have to different groups of people being as it were like them in our bridge building with them that is all part of being a servant of all and you see that really in in paul's sort of attitude that he he shows in corinthians to the various controversial issues that he he tries to to, uh, to assist with I think earlier here in chapter 9 you see that in verse um, 5 where he says have we not power to lead about a wife that is a believer even as the rest of the apostles or verse 6 I only am Barnabas have we not a right to forbear working doesn't every soldier uh, get paid um, doesn't the person who plant a, plants a vineyard eat some of the fruit etc he could have been married he could have dragged the the poor woman round with him he could have demanded that his converts paid him instead of having a slog away um, at his tent making but he chose not to use those things and so you see there the idea of different levels which we spoke about uh, earlier particularly in our studies on chapter 7 that he could have done those things but he chose not to and you know he is explaining all this uh, in verse 19 by saying that he is a, he's trying to make himself a servant to all he's trying to be the christ who died and gave his life as a ransom for many by his attitude to the many because he wants to save the many just as jesus did and so it's not a case of thinking, well, that it, I can legitimately do that. Therefore, I shall do it. All the time, if we are really motivated 
24-7 by the attitude of Jesus who died for us, who thought about what would be good for us spiritually. We, therefore, in our lives should be continually thinking what is best for others and what impact might my behavior, my choices have upon others. Now, when you come to the thing about meat offered to idols, I mean, you really, this in chapter 8, as we read, you've really got that absolutely clearly. He says that in one sense we have freedom. See, chapter 8, verse 9, he talks about that liberty of yours, that freedom that you have. Just as he said in chapter 9, I'm free from all men, but I will make myself a servant of all, a slave of all. Um, So, of course, you could eat meat offered to idols. But he recognizes that there were some weaker believers in chapter 8, verse 7, who didn't have that knowledge that they should have. But all the same, they were believers. He accepted them as believers. And they had what he calls a conscience of the idol. And that for those people, if they were to eat meat that had once been offered to idols, it would be for them as if they were worshipping that idol. Because they seem to have what he calls this conscience or consciousness of the idol, they seem to think that if that meat was stuck in front of an idol altar, somehow the idol was sort of somehow alive, and the god behind the idol was somehow alive, and if you ate that meat that had been put on that altar, then you sort of really were in active fellowship with the god behind the idol. Now that incidentally shows the the huge range of doctrinal belief which there was at Corinth. And instead of Paul saying, look, chuck those people out of the church, just as in chapter 15 when he talks about people who no longer believed in the resurrection, he doesn't say chuck them out of the church. He says try to reason with them and take them from where they are if you can further. That's what he's saying here about people who still had some idea that idols and the gods behind those idols existed. He's saying they are still believers. And you've got to be sensitive to them. And if you know, in your knowledge, that those gods they think are behind the idol, that they actually don't exist, so you think you can just eat meat that's offered to idols, sure, of course you can. You are on one level free to do so, but in another sense you are not. Because, verse 9 Take heed, lest by any means this freedom of yours become a stumbling block to the weak. Because if any man see you who has knowledge sitting at meat in the idol's temple, will not the conscience of him that is weak be emboldened to eat the things which are offered to idols? Now wait a minute. Verse 10. Is it really so that the strong brother went to eat meat in the idol's temple. No, it isn't. He didn't eat meat in the idol's temple, physically. But you see from verse 7 that the weaker brother thought that if you ate meat that had once been offered to an idol, that was as if you were sitting at meat in an idol's temple. And so verse 10 is written, as it were, from the perspective of the weak brother. That if he sees you eating meat that was offered to idols, as far as he's concerned, he is seeing you sitting at meat in the idol's temple. 
and therefore he will be emboldened to actually go and worship with the uh, with the idols and so paul's argument is that we have got to take on board the attitude and the the, the mindset of the weak and I think that's why in verse 10 he writes purposefully from that perspective that he that weak brother will see you sitting at meat in the idol's temple he knows full well we're going to say but wait a minute the strong brother isn't eating meat in the idol's temple but the point is they thought that or the weak brother thought that if you ate meat that had once been offered to an idol it was as if you were sitting at meat in the idol's temple and so It's written from the weak brother's perspective. And of course what Paul is saying is you've got to take on board the other person's sensibilities and how they will perceive you. And this is why, as I say in chapter 9, he says, look at me. I try to be as a Jew to the Jew. I try to take on their perspective to the Gentiles. I try to take on a Gentile perspective to those who are under the law like that, those who are not under the law try to think and be exactly as they are and he does this in the spirit of service because he says I'm to be a servant of all just as Jesus was a servant of all on the cross now that means that it is not enough to say it's okay in my conscience because it's not only your conscience that is important if you are in this world in order to save other people you will consider their conscience and the impact that your decisions and your example has upon them and you may say no but I'm a total irrelevancy and this is the whole point that you are not a total irrelevancy because each of us has an example which has more power in it than we might imagine we are of more significance in this world and the power of example is much greater than we might ever possibly imagine and so it's rather like driving it's no good just being a good driver yourself you've got to actually think about the likely idiocy of the of the bloke coming towards you A good driver is someone who takes on board the other guy's fallibilities. The the successful driver, let's put it that way, is the person who thinks not only of himself in his own car and shifting his own gears, but is, as it were, thinking for the other bloke. He's probably going to overtake, and he's probably going to get into this problem or that problem. And that's really what I suppose life is like and that's what Paul is saying life is like in our preaching of the gospel and in our interrelation with others who are baptized that if we really are living out the spirit of the cross we will earnestly want to seek the salvation of others and we will be self-critical of our attitudes because we will want to help others to God's kingdom because as we started off by saying Paul's whole point is that the mind that was in Jesus then on the cross he the servant of all giving his life a ransom for many he is to be us and the Jesus who on the cross Philippians 2 made himself a servant made himself a slave who 
according to Philippians 2, there's seven stages there of his mental uh, humiliation and finally coming to the de- even to the death of the cross. And then there's seven stages of his exaltation. And he's saying, let this mind be in you, which was in him there. And so, as I say, he there, who we now try to reconstruct in our own minds, he there is to be our living real example and not something that we just glance at and take some kind of comfort from that okay all my sins are kind of resolved and sorted out there but it's far more than that the whole point of the cross was and is that it should influence human life in practice i would go so far as to say that that was probably as far as i can discern the main reason for there being a death on the cross if the death of if the sacrifice of jesus was simply to get us forgiveness it could have been through well, the death of jesus in any form by cutting his throat or uh, draining the blood out of his body or, or drinking poison and dying and all sorts of things but why the the emphasis on, on, on crucifixion and the whole process of it, the public nature of it, the willful self-humiliation, etc. Well, why? Because the whole idea is that the death of Jesus should be our death, and his life is to be our life. We show that in baptism, we show that in the, in the symbol of, of the breaking of bread.